Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help 1 million people start a business of their own and ensure that no one feels alone doing it. We're coming at you live from the Belsize Park Library in London. We're on a mission to save libraries. We don't think libraries are part of your past. We think they're part of your future. Here in this library is knowledge, not just books. And right here from this library, we are broadcasting knowledge to you from founders that have been there and done it. My guest today is entrepreneur Jeff Lynn, co-founder of Cedars. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Simon. Really, really, really thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, could you start off by kindly telling my audience a little bit about you? Absolutely. So I am an American transplant in London. I've lived here about 15 years. Began my career as a corporate lawyer, uh, originally practicing in New York, and then had a chance to come to this side of the world. Uh, Didn't stay as a lawyer, but did stay here. Uh, uh, Became passionate uh, about entrepreneurship uh, and the opportunity of small, ambitious businesses to create value and uh, decided I wanted to do something on my own. And uh, in 2000 and late 2008, early 2009, uh, met a wonderful chap called Carlos Silva. And together, the two of us founded a business called Cedars. Uh, Cedars is an online investment platform uh, for startups and scale-ups. We allow investors of all types to invest in uh, growing businesses that they believe in. We allow entrepreneurs of all types to raise capital uh, from their friends, family, community, uh, professional investors and others. Uh, and so we've built that business over the course of the past decade. Uh, we're now the most active investor uh, in UK uh, private companies. Uh, and today, having uh, led the business as CEO for its first eight years, uh, I hired a proper uh, CEO after a while. And, and today I'm the executive chairman uh, of the business. It's interesting you say proper CEO. It's, uh, I know what you mean. It's an interesting tip right there. Sometimes you can get the business from zero to one, but take it one to ten. Sometimes it's worth hiring people that know what they're doing. I, I, I am absolutely amazed by, and I think it is a very, very rare quality, you know, people who are both the right person to go from zero to one uh, and from one to 10. I think the sorts of talents and skills and stubbornness and everything else that goes with getting a business off the ground from the very beginning, which I think I to be decent at, uh, are very different from managing, you know, the scale of a, of a, of a company that's up and up and running, uh, which is not something that I'm particularly passionate about, or I think overly good at. And so uh, I think it's a transition that makes a lot of sense. A few people can do both power to them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I think it's a really interesting, couldn't agree more. There's such an interesting point here that I want my listeners to pick up off straight off the bat that sometimes, you know, you hear the story that you should be the leader forever. But I've seen plenty of people that are trying to be that next stage leader and not enjoying the business anymore, not having fun doing it and not doing the business any justice either. So recognizing that in yourself and saying, hey, I'm going to let someone smarter than me do it or better than me at this stage to do it is actually really hard, but really smart. And, and the big advantage to, 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 to recognizing it yourself, as, as, as I think I did, is that, you know, it gives you the opportunity, as, as it did me, uh, to stay involved in a capacity that made sense for me. I mean, if you wait as a, as a, as a CEO until, you're, until, until everyone else realizes you're not the right person for the role, uh, you're probably going to be out. Um, in my case, I said, look, I love this business. I love a lot that we really want to do in terms of 
term strategic activity, sort of moonshot type um, opportunities where, um, uh, uh, you know, where I think I can do a great, great work. And I'd love to stay involved in that. And, and, you know, because I sort of led the process, I was able to carve out a role for myself that, that I really, really enjoyed. So there's, there's a selfish value, you know, aspect um, in addition to wanting to see the business succeed. There's a very short term selfish um, aspect uh, to, to making that move early or earlier rather, you know, jumping before you get pushed, so to speak. Yeah, and I think there's there's another element of what you're describing there that's really interesting, I think, for people to pick up on too, which is that sometimes it is a good idea if you love the business more than you love your, you know, yourself being successful, your own image. If you love the business more, it's sometimes much better to step back and let that business succeed. I feel that people sometimes try to hold on to the power. I've seen mm-hmm. that. And they think that they should hold on to the power or even they feel responsible to hold on because if they should be the one holding on to the power. But you can kill a business doing that. And, and to your no. point, right? You should exactly. Ultimately, what matters at the end of the day is that the business is successful. And if you, you know, either, you know, whether you did it yourself or whether you're, you brought in the right people to do it, really, that, you know, that no, one's gonna, no one really remembers or cares. What they care about is the success of the business in the long run. Well said. Totally right. And you can always give yourself a, a fancy title uh, as chairman exactly. or executive chairman and move yourself to where uh, you can be useful, I guess. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Precisely. So tell tell my audience how do you go from um, a corporate lawyer uh, to to becoming the owner and and guy guy that started um, this you know successful company how how what happened how did it happen that how, what was the process yeah so I mean I think what really the, the way it really started was that I I was practicing I was practicing law doing very large M and A deals you know largely sort of you know, being one of, you know, a member of, you know, large deal teams uh, with big banks taking over other big banks and everybody destroying a whole bunch of value in the process. And at an intellectual level, I really liked it. I mean, there are some people I think who go into law and really dislike all aspects of it. Uh, that wasn't me. I, I, I actually, there was much about being a lawyer that I liked, but at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I was in my late twenties and I thought about, you know, what do I want my career to look like? What do I want, you know, to look back on uh, someday when I retire? And, 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 and this, you know, wasn't it. And, and at the same time, you know, one of the things that happens uh, when you're a young lawyer is, is that your friends who are doing startups or running small businesses pester you for free legal advice. And so I, you know, started very, very peripherally, you know, talking to a few old friends and, 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 and hearing about some of the businesses they were working on. And I thought to myself, this, this is, this is exciting. Like this is, these people have got nothing and they're building something out of it. And, and, you know, this is not only, I think something that, looks really interesting to be doing, you know, this being sort of starting businesses. Um, but also I think this is where really interesting value creation is going to come from. Like, you know, businesses I'm working for and representing are these great august institutions, but they've run out of ideas. Then they're, they're not actually in the 21st century, the kind of nimble, lean, creative, innovative businesses that, you know, the market needs. And some of these other businesses I was seeing, you know, my friends trying to work on really work. So I said, you know what? I want to, I, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I want to do this. I don't know how, I don't know what the path is going to be, um, but I want to do this. And, and and I figured that the sort of quickest sort of soft landing way to do it was to go off and do an MBA. Um, and I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of disparagement of business school and MBAs among the entrepreneurial community. And, and, and to some degree with good reason, you know, I don't think your sort of classic MBA who's taken every sort of, you know, technical finance, you know, class literally, and then tries to use that to start a business is often 
very successful because building a business is you know much more about you know the level of certain well it is also largely about street smarts and a, and a certain level of practicality um but for me it was perfect for me it was exactly what i needed because it gave me an opportunity both to round out my understanding of the business landscape to learn you know at least a little bit so i could sort of talk to talk um and 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 to a limited degree walk the walk in disciplines like marketing and operations that i hadn't had any exposure to before and it also gave me the space to think about what did I want to do and meet the kinds of people who uh, uh, also wanted to be doing these things. And so that was where I met my co-founder. And we started working on this as a project, as a business school project. We had a class, we had a class where, you know, for credit, we were able to, you know, we were, we were, we had to design a business plan. So we started working on this and one thing led to another. And one day, Carlos and I looked at each other and said, this thing, this thing works. Should we, should we, should we, should we do it? All right, let's do it. And and that was that was how it all came to be. It's a wonderful story, and I and I love it for so many reasons. I think one of the reasons I do this podcast show is because I, I'm quite opinionated about uh, things, and I and I, I stand on a soapbox and I do say things like, "Don't do an MBA, go start a business of your own." And what I love is to have guests on like you, and and, and what you highlight in your story is there's plenty of different ways to get where you want to go depending on what works for you so I might have an opinion that MBAs aren't the right thing to do but that doesn't mean I'm right and I think your story highlights that there are plenty of benefits to going around it the way you've done it you met your co-founder there you rounded out your skills to your point I mean I guess what uh, happens with, with, with business schools in the entrepreneurial ecosystem is that a lot of people that are successful entrepreneurs didn't have the chance to go to MBA schools for whatever reason so they don't necessarily know what it's like and they don't necessarily know um, the benefits of going to to an MBA school so they will judge it plus you have the stats that send out 10 people that come out of these uh, business MBAs don't end up ever starting a business they, they get fear drilled into them but if you can go into it in the way you're talking about it and use it as a learning curve and then have an idea within that brainstorming ecosystem wow it's a great way to start a business it's a fantastic story Jeff thanks for sharing it I don't know. I don't know if you think uh, yeah. people should today. If if people are sitting listening, do you think people should go to university, or if they're sitting there thinking, should I start a business from home, or should I sign up to university? Because the sign up to universities right now has gone through the roof since COVID's hit the world. People scared they can't get a job, so they they're going back into education. But what do you think? Do you think that is the right route, even with your experience? I, I have I have probably a slightly traditional and and maybe you know in in, in some ways old fashioned view on this and, and 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 I and again exactly as you say you know there's no one piece of advice that's right for everyone and and by all means there are going to be lots and lots of exceptions but I do think that a university education undergraduate education and a few years working in some form of more traditional establishment are useful. You don't want to spend so long working in a big old company that you go native by any means, but there is a lot of value, I think, in many of the things that are required in building a business to have at least had that level of exposure. And actually, I would probably say universe, the, the working in a, in, a, in, a, in a traditional company is probably the more important of the two. Usually the way you get to that point is via university. I don't know that university is necessarily in and of itself as, as important, but I do think that seeing a bit about how the professional world works, seeing very simple things like how to handle business phone calls and business meetings and number of things like that, actually 
Uh, it's stuff that's very hard to teach. It's very useful to, 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 to have it. It gives you an immediate leg up when you do then start a business or join a startup. Um, so I'm a big fan of the sort of traditional go to university, have a couple of years of, you know, of, of a more traditional type of role. Uh, uh, and then, you know, and you know, if you do it sort of efficiently out of university by 21, two, three years, I mean, you're still young, you're still, you should still be very, you know, at your very much at your prime at the point at which you're looking to start something, but you've had that little bit of extra experience under your belt. I, I, that's my, that's my personal take. I, and I like it. I mean, again, a lot of the time, personally, I say to people, you get most experience in business by going out there and starting a business or working with people that are starting businesses. But I, I totally agree with uh, go start a job, for example. And what you can do, and I think maybe you had this, was you can find out what you don't like by doing something like that. If you went and became a corporate lawyer and loved it, then great. You go become a corporate lawyer. You liked it, but it's not quite what you want to do. But you know that now. You scratched that itch, right? It's kind of that then you can go off and do your own thing and not always wonder, what if I just become a corporate lawyer and, and done that route? You've been there, you've done that. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I think, I, I think you know, I'm, I, I, in, in life generally, I'm a big believer in having, you know, many experiences as you can. I mean, I think the notion that we are defined as one type of uh, professional or another, one type of person or another, um, is, 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 is itself kind of old fashioned. I think, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that I spent, you know, my twenties doing sort of the traditional law route. I spent my thirties and early forties, you know, building cedars where we're going to be merging soon, which we can talk about. And I'll see, you know, I'll see what, what then goes, comes next for me as my forties go on and maybe something completely different in my fifties. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that we have to be the same thing, you know, at all aspects of our lives and career. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're living longer and longer and, and hopefully COVID won't change that. You know, we, exactly. we do, we do, we do have the ability to have four or five different careers, don't we? I think. Exactly. At, at, and it's exciting. You know, it's like, you know, there's so many great things to do. Why not get to do it? Try a bunch of different things as you go. Yeah. Plus the world changes so fast. So, you know, it's, um, you can be a, a truck driver today and then running your own crowdfunding company tomorrow, right? I mean, exactly. there's really no, exactly. no limits. I mean, just talk us through going back to that moment with you and Carla sitting there realizing you had something. A lot of my listeners don't understand the first five steps. Talk us through your five, first five or six steps. What happened next? Well, I, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we, you know, it was easy enough in, in, in an academic context to sort of be writing a business plan that that's teachable. That's, that's something, you know, you, there are templates for, but then when it becomes a, uh, okay, crap, we, we got to do this. What do, what do we do now? Um, uh, uh, you know, and we, 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 we bumbled around a little bit, but you know, what we ultimately, you know, sort of focused in on was, a combination, I'm trying to think if, if, I don't know if this will add up to five, but a combination of at least three things. You know, one was that we needed, we needed to figure out a way to get something that resembled a product together. You know, we could write all the business plans we wanted, talk theoretically all we wanted about, and that was all going to be going on in the background. But we needed to build something, even if it was just a very basic version uh, of what would become the platform. Um, not because it necessarily did anything. And in our case, as I'll explain in a moment, we, we, we couldn't kind of go down a lean startup route of release and, and iterate, release and iterate because there was a, a regulatory overlay. But what we could do at least was sort of show the world that we were serious and show the world that there was a thing 
Um, and so we, 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 we sought to begin building and, and indeed in those first few months, we building a very, very basic sort of alpha version, you know, a pre-alpha version of the platform. That was one thing. Uh, second thing for us, you know, this is, this is you know, a, a fintech specific thing or specific to a few sectors was regulation. Well, we understood that one of the things we would need to do uh, was get regulated by the financial rate regulator here in the UK. And, and so beginning that process, trying to understand what was involved, trying to bring in the right advisors to be able to do that was key. And then the, the third, which, which powered both of the first two uh, and made it all possible was trying to raise some money. Um, and you know that first, and I will tell you. I mean, we have raised now since since we launched Cedars, um, or since we began the business, we've raised you know thirty million pounds of equity. And I can tell you, the last twenty five was a heck of a lot easier than the first five, and the hardest was probably the first fifty grand. Um, and you know, it, we were so early, we had nothing to show, uh, and we you know we tried talking to people. Everybody, you know, even people say, "Great idea, we love it. Come back, come back when you built something. Come back when you're regulated." And um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do something. How how you know how are we going to be able to do that? So um, in the end, you know, we got lucky, um, and 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 the luck was that Carlos's landlord in Oxford. We were up at, at, at a business school in Oxford, and him and Carlos was renting a flat, and his landlord um, was a former tech executive who'd had a meaningful exit about ten years before, uh, and had become an angel investor. And uh, Carlos started talking to him, you know, at the flat one day about what we were working on, and he was interested, wanted to learn more, and met with us and and over time and over a lot of a lot of meetings and persuasion uh we got them to invest and it was not a huge investment um it was not a lot a whole lot of money uh, it didn't last very long but it was that it did get us those first that first step we needed and also gave us a level of credibility to kind of carry on from there so that was that was how we started and 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 then we just kept you know kept building the product kept kept pursuing the regulatory front kept raising bits and bobs of money as we could until finally we were had a platform and had regulatory approval and had a team and were ready to launch. It's ironic in a way that the, your own problem there that you were um, needing to solve, get an investor, is the problem you, you, you help people solve today. It, 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 it was, and, and, and we talked about it all the time then. We used to say, you know, if only we existed, <laughs> uh, we, we, we could use ourselves. But it certainly gave us... You know, as we faced our struggles raising money, that was certainly a heck of great inspiration for the notion that we were on to something. You know, if we, if we, we it, you know, it, it was so clear to us that there was a, a need in the market for the kind of marketplace that we were building because we were suffering that need ourselves. It's such a chicken and egg problem for people, isn't it, starting a business? Like you say, people who invest in you once you've proven it can work. Well, you know, yeah. by that time, you don't necessarily need the money or you need their money. You might need more sophisticated money. You know, so so it's very frustrating, isn't it, for people starting businesses this whole, especially the early stages. As you say, the first 50K is the hardest. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. The other, the other point you mentioned there that I want the audience to pick up on is, is an experience I've had. I can relate to it. I, I actually started a crowdfunding site in Asia, in Hong Kong, called Investable. 
And um, I didn't know you guys when I started it. It was in 2010. So it was you'd already started, but I didn't know you guys at that point. And uh, I, I made the big mistake of not getting regulatory approval. And, and I was a typical entrepreneur that thought, I know, I'll fight the system. The system's wrong. These regulations shouldn't be in place. I'm just introducing someone I know to someone I know. And, you know, what's the big deal? And, and that arrogance cost me that platform because we got shut down. Um, but, and so I think that you're highlighting something here that a lot of people should also pick up on you know yes being a rebel and breaking the rules and the elon musk model of you know break break the break all those the uber model even you know the the kind of um original statements of like well you know we know people need this so we're going to do it regardless of regulation but i think you're highlighting something very important for people to pick up on which is you will probably still be around if you work side by side with both the innovation piece as well as following regulation right Yeah, absolutely. And the two aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, I think we have been quite innovative from a regulatory perspective. I mean, certainly, you know, the model, I won't won't bore everybody with um, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the details of the process we went through. But a big part of what we were doing was we sat down and said, look, the thing that we're trying to do hasn't actually been done before in the U.K., uh, and there isn't, you know, we're not going to get a lawyer to tell us, yes, it's all completely okay. But when we read the rules, and this is part of where I came in being, you know, having practiced as a lawyer, you know, we read through the regulations and said, you know, we think that if you join this dot and this dot and this dot, it actually can work. And and it was a bit of a, you know, I mean, it was, it was in my mind, frankly, I mean, I, I view some of that work that we did early days as one of, you know, my and our great entrepreneurial sort of successes, just like solving a, court, a tough coding problem or a tough kind of engineering problem. We solved a tricky regulatory problem, uh, you know, thought outside the box a little bit, made some interpretations that weren't necessarily going to work, but we tried them and went to the regulator and worked with them to, you know, to, to, to get their approval. So I, I actually, I think that, you know, and I, and I've actually done this now a few times over the course of Cedars, you know, I try to use whatever kind of entrepreneurial or innovative spirit I have, you know, to, 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 to work within, you know, to, 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 to push regulation forward um, and to, you know, and, and, and to push solutions forward under regulation in some cases to, to, to get it to change. Uh, so I think the two can go together very handily, actually. I completely agree. In fact, it can give you a competitive advantage if you think this way too because a lot of people do think innovation means breaking the rules. But if you can help the people that set the rules reset those rules Mm -hmm. and come along with you for the ride instead of trying to make them... Um, either look foolish or or, or completely uh, destroy their system, you can win. I think your insight's brilliant, Jeff, for people out there. It's so and it's important. also, it's very important, and again, this gets a little sort of lawyerly, I guess, but it's very important to think about, you know, why the regulations are there and what, you you know, and, 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 and what purpose they serve. I mean, I think you, you know, the, the, if you look by contrast at something like Uber, you know, you can, you can certainly make the argument as Travis did that the, the, you know, the, the huge regulation around taxis was essentially just a closed shop unionist, you know, not unionized, but, 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 you know, sort of cartel cartelized monopoly. Uh, yeah. 
in, in, you know, kind of, kind of thing by the taxis. And so from a customer perspective, you were really trying to open the door. Financial regulation is a little different. I mean, it's not to say, you know, a lot of bad financial regulations out there, but the principle of it, if you get it right, is actually to encourage investors to come to the market. And, you know, if you operate in a complete wild west, that's great. You're not having to deal with regulation, but at the same time, you know, you're, it's very difficult to get investors to want to deal with you and trust you. So, you know, I think in, in areas like that, I've always been a big proponent of you know regulation if it ultimately helps grow my business yeah well I, i'm a liberal i don't you know and i and i i don't think that um, rules are necessarily good however i do think certain rules are needed in place certainly from a financial perspective if people you don't want people conned or ripped off and you know and that can give the whole industry that could be good for the world a bad name if those people come in and play that game so i agree with you regulation can be a positive thing and working alongside it or working with the people that create their regulation to make it better is, is a really smart way to operate so so just stepping back you you um you come up with this idea you you and carlos go away you you kind of raise that first bit of money you get the mvp going did you outsource the mvp production how did you handle the tech side of the business a lot of people ask us this question how they how would they get that going <laughs> The very first, oh, sorry. Um, the very first bit was um, uh, outsourced. And actually, uh, it, that angel investor who, who invested that first little bit in us, one of the conditions of his investment was that we use his son's software development firm uh, to do some of the initial development work. His son is actually a very talented developer and has gone on to be a very successful entrepreneur in his own right. But at the time, he was just you know starting out doing, doing development. So we used him at first. Um, I, I, but pre, but pretty quickly. And as soon as we got our next little batch of money, um, we began doing it in, in house. I think it is very difficult. I mean, I'm not an, an, a, a, a technologist myself, so I, I can, I, I can't speak to this in, in, in technical terms, but in sort of business building terms, I think it's very difficult to outsource that kind of, you know, part of a, of, 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 of a build process. I think, you know, once you're up and running and you know, all your specs and you know what you need and it's, it, you can, you, you, you can do a sort of classic, kind of waterfall sort of approach to development, then, then, then I think there are a lot of options, but ultimately, you know, we were having to build the code as we figured out, you know, you know, as we figured out what we were trying to do as a business, it was all kind of together. And so ultimately Carlos wound up hiring a couple of developers, um, uh, uh, who, who, who did the main initial build. And we were very fortunate to have been able to get them. Um, and that was, that was key to the process. Again, a lot of people ask, I mean, this seems to be three routes, doesn't there? You kind of, you, you hire someone to do the work for you. Um, you are the person, personally, it does the work or your co-founder is the person to do the work. Often it's not even, you shouldn't just hire someone, but it sounds like it worked for you guys. I mean, it, is that, is yeah, that I mean, I mean, in, in our case, I mean, Carlos came from uh, uh, an IT, uh, particularly sort of information security background. And you know, understood you know the technology very well, but he wasn't really you know, a web developer by training. And he said, "Look, he said I can I I, I could do some of this myself if needed, um, but I think we will get a better product out of somebody you know who who 
you know, actually does web development for, you know, uh, you know, for, for their, for their living and understands how to code in Ruby and, and all of that. So I think it made a lot of sense. I think the key point though, is having them inside the business, you know, in their day to day in the small room you're working in, hearing all the business discussions, engaging directly. The bit that I don't think tends to work at that stage is, you know, although from a price perspective, it may seem appealing, but just sort of shipping it off to a remote office in Bulgaria or something. And who knows? I don't know. We're all now that we're all moving to remote working, maybe, maybe it matters less. But back then, certainly having everybody in the same place was the key. Yeah, because you're partly talking about culture there, I think as well. It's like the, the speed Absolutely. in which you're solving the problem that's important, uh, and you're doing you're in it together and and solving the problems that come up as you're coding together. So the remote thing, I mean, you can remote work, but I think culture has to be aligned, and you you, you do need to have that you know on the same page as far as yeah. what you're trying to achieve is concerned. So I, I know what you mean. I mean, I see a lot of people trying to build businesses and they're outsourcing it. Again, no disrespect to markets like India, but they're outsourcing it to markets that are often just production houses. And, yeah. and they get stuck and because are, they get in a queue. And, and there are times in a business's growth when that's what you do need is yeah. just the production house. Not the early stages, though. The early stages, this is, the, you know, the, the build is is as an essential part of the business as anything else. And, and everything's got to work together. So, Jeff, just talking a little bit about um, your background, uh, you're, you're, I always wonder, you know, so you, you, you become a corporate lawyer. You have this brilliant idea you and Carlos start to make it happen. You said earlier that you knew that this wasn't what you were meant to be, a corporate lawyer. Um, you, you, know, you enjoyed it, but it, you enjoyed the intellectual challenge of it, but it wasn't what you were meant to be. I think a lot of people don't have that feeling, uh, and you're, so it so, sounds like you were lucky. But where did that feeling come from? Were your parents entrepreneurs? How did it, how did it come about? You? I, 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 I come from an entrepreneurial family. I mean, my, 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 my family is, is, is a, a sort of you know, prototypical uh, immigrant, you know, you know, immigrant family uh, American into America from generations before my, my, my great grandparents all came from Eastern Europe, uh, around the turn of the century, uh, largely, you know, that didn't, you know, no education, very little in the way of formal opportunities available to them, uh, started businesses, uh, some of which, you know, you know, were quite successful. Some of which were smaller. Um, you know, my grandfather always remembered as a child, one of the smaller, businesses was that his parents ran a little boarding house in a town outside of Detroit. And, you know, my grandfather and his six sisters and brothers were, you know, always chipped in helping around, helping around the, the, the boarding house. Um, you know, a couple other businesses that got a little bit bigger, but that part of my, you know, I grew up very conscious of that sort of, you know, of, of the kind of immigrants mentality of, you know, sort of, you know, uh, uh, finding your own way, you know, building something on your own, uh, being, you know, using cleverness and creativeness and hard work to create value. And that has always sort of, I think, sat very deeply in my, my family story. So although the, the, the members of my family, my, both my grandfathers and my father actually took more traditional types of, you know, professional roles, um, it never sort of, it was never very far from the dinner table conversation. Uh, and I think I always sort of felt some urge to build something really cool, even as a child. Did you have any peer pressure when you said I'm going to quit being a corporate lawyer and 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 go and go and do this business? Did you? What was the reaction to your ecosystem like? Well, it, you know, it's funny. I the, I remember there were two people who really challenged me on it, um, and and who said, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? This is a great idea. And both of them were over eighty five years old. 
Um, <laughs> one was my grandmother, um, and one was uh, a, an old friend and mentor um, who, you know, and, and, you know, at that stage in life, you can understand, you know, nervousness around leaving something secure and taking, taking risks. But actually, I think among pretty much everybody, everybody sort of, you know, you know, younger than that, uh, who I talked to, um, I think there was a lot of support for it. I think there was, I think, I think there were a couple of factors. One was that I think that people understood that that a, you know, building business can be a very lucrative opportunity. And, and it's not as if staying as a lawyer is without risk. It's not as if there's anything, you know, it's very hard to make partner. It's got to work very, you know, a lot of things can, can go wrong there. So nothing you do in life is, is risk-free. Um, uh, so I think there's a partially recognition of that. But I think the other thing, and one of the things a lot of people said to me at that at the time was that, you know, if this is something you want to do, if this is something that you've got, you've got in you that you want to do, now's the time in life when you should be doing it. Because, you know, as I say, while on one end, I do believe in sort of having a little bit of traditional kind of exposure. At the other end, it gets harder and harder to start a business the older you get. And at this point, I was 30. Um, I was engaged, but not, you know, not yet married or, or kids. Um, I, you know, I had a very supportive fiance, now wife, um, no mortgage, none of the kind of obligations. And, and, you know, I think what a lot of people saw, including my parents and others, was that, you know, this was, you know, I could take the risk now because, you know, well, you know, what happens if things go wrong? Well, we figure out a way to sort of make do, my, my, my wife and I, there's no big obligation. You know, now I'm 42, I got a mortgage on a house in South London, I got a child in, in school, I got lots of other things. You know, taking that kind of risk out of the blue, you know, would be a lot harder uh, today. And so I think part of the support I received from my community was a very accurate reflection that, yeah, you know, do it, do it, do it when you can, you know, do it when the, when, when the consequence of failure is, is, is significantly lower. And that window of time, I think is a really interesting uh, point. And I would love my audience to pick up on it. And there is a window of time, isn't there? But, and that doesn't mean to say, I mean, we, we probably both know, I'm loads of people in your platform. I know for sure the Revolut guys and those, you know, started businesses when they've already got families, it can definitely happen. It just gets harder. It's so it's hard. much harder. And, and, and the it, risk factor is a lot. It's not just you anymore, is it? If you go take a risk and you can't pay your bills anymore, it's not just you that can sleep on your friend's couch. It's you, your child and your wife that's going to sleep on a friend's couch, which is definitely not as easy. Exactly. That's exactly it. It can, it can absolutely be done. And and look, I do, you know, I'm a big believer in starting businesses as you get older as well. I don't, I doubt, you know, hopefully I doubt Cedars is the only company I will start my, in in my life and, and, you know, whatever the next one I do some days, clearly I'm going to be a lot older than I was uh, 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 when, when I did Cedars. So I think there are ways uh, to do it, but particularly for a first business, particularly when you first kind of throw your hat in the ring, yeah, look, it is so bloody hard. And there are so many things that can go wrong. And there are so many pressures. If you're not then worried about how you're going to, you know, how you're going to support your family, how you're going to pay, pay, you know, bills that have to be paid. I mean, it's very easy to stop going to fancy restaurants. It's very hard not to pay your mortgage one month. And, 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 you know, it's just, it's nice to, it's nice not to have to worry about those kinds of things. Yeah. It's something I talk about a lot uh, about, when you're young, try not to get a mortgage. It sounds counterintuitive for some people because, you know, get a ha- get on the housing ladder sounds so important. But when you don't have that fixed cost, you can go up and down in rent quite easily. You can sleep on your friend's couch. I slept in my office 
for the first yeah. two months of my company. So, you know, these things you can do. But if you've got yeah. a mortgage a little harder, you've, you've invested in that property and the capital's tied up and, and so on and so forth. You have a fixed cost with a mortgage quite often. So, But it's, it's true. It's absolutely true what you're saying. So thank you for sharing your, your story. And I actually think you've, you know, not only am I excited to see what you do in your next two or three careers, but you have, at fact, done over a thousand deals on your platform, raised over a billion dollars for companies. So there's, there is an argument that you've already really helped ensure another thousand companies have started from the company that you started. Well, I think, I, I thank you. That's very kind to say. I mean, I think one of the great joys of this business uh, uh, for me has been, you know, what I see as being a, you know, a, a sort of, you know, a, a, a good sort of virtuous circle that gets created in, in, in the ecosystem. I mean, I think, look, there are lots of businesses that you can run that do important things that serve customers well. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think that's great in and of itself. I think it's been a nice benefit in particular, though, that hopefully part of building our business has been about getting a whole lot of other businesses off the ground. And those entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs will in turn support others, and the you know, the job creation, the wealth creation, uh, you know, the growth of the entrepreneurial economy are all, I think, you know, great things that come out of it. So while I, I I'm, I'm you know not the least bit over, overly grand about it, I think we're still just a, a sort of drop in the ocean in terms of you know overall contribution. It's it's been wonderful to see entrepreneurs get their start with us or, or have us as part of their growth story, and to think about some of what they may go on to do. It's a butterfly effect as well from, from what you've achieved by, I guess, getting regulation updated, persevering with what you've done, then helping these thousand plus companies get funded and many more to come, I'm sure. Those companies go on to then be work successful financial institutions themselves like Revolut and then they go on yeah. to help more people start businesses and so on. It's just, it's it's a beautiful thing and I think that's sometimes what people overlook when thinking to start a business. They think they've got to create something big from day one but sometimes a small thing from day one can end up having a big impact um, you know, later. Yeah, look, ab- ab- absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, I'd be the very first to say that, you know, while, you know, while I'm thrilled with what we have achieved uh, as a business today and, and, and hopefully will achieve going forward, you know, in early days, we sort of thought it would all happen overnight and that we'd be, you know, that we'd either be a huge success or an abysmal failure within a matter of months. And the reality is that, you know, through perseverance and hard work and some stubbornness and some luck, you know, we've sort of gradually built over the course of the past decade. And, you know, you stop and pause and turn around now and you say, hey, wait, you know, we actually did a whole lot. But there were times when it felt like it was all moving quite slowly. Sure. And and, and today, I mean, I, I don't know if you could talk about this in too much detail. I don't want to um, get you into trouble, but, you, you know, you've signed a deal to merge with Crowdcube. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like when you're competing with people to go from a competitor to a friend. And how does this come about? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I'll, I'll say a word or two about, about the deal itself and then, and then I'll, and then I can give you a little bit more on, on the background. So, you know, we, 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 we signed the deal at the beginning of October. We've got a whole sort of regulatory shareholder approval process, you know, two regulated firms, et cetera, merging. There's all sorts of stuff to go through. So, you know, we're still operating as completely, uh, slightly weirdly, we're still operating, competing with each other, operating completely independently um, and will do until, until the deal closes. And then when we come together, 
uh, uh, you know, at, at last, I mean, I think the opportunity to really take the best of both companies, you know, we've both done some great stuff. We've both done some stuff that we could have done better, uh, you know, try to take the best of both companies and really build a significant player that can compete more effectively with other channels in the market is going to be super exciting. Um, in terms of the background, yeah, it, you know, look, I mean, Crowdcube and we not only were, have we been rivals, but we were not friendly rivals in early days. I mean, I, you know, there were, there were some, a number of things they did that I think, you know, I really uh, 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 had some challenges with. Um, uh, I'm sure they felt the same about us in various ways. You know, we were not on good terms with each other. Um, and, you know, it was only sort of gradually that I think we both started to realize that we could be better together than apart. Um, and the first few meetings and the first few times that we, we talked, you know, some, you know, going back a few years now, uh, were hesitant. Um, and there were ups and downs. I'm not going to pretend they weren't. You know, we'd sort of meet and get along, and then we'd have much more contentious meeting. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a difficult process, but I think one of the things that was great was that as time went by and as we kept kind of engaging with them and, and, and having discussions with different members of their team, we just began to build up trust. We began to see them saying things that, you know, that, 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 that turned out to be true, so to speak. And we, you know, we, and, and, and they saw the same from us and, you know, we still don't see eye to eye a hundred percent on everything, nor should we. I mean, this is part of trying to bring, you know, bring, bring two different businesses together. But I think as we began to build up trust and, 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 and I dare say even come to like each other and respect each other even for our, our differences, it became much more feasible to think about how, how could we do a, a, a deal together. So it, it is not easy, that, you know, and it has been, you know, an, an exceptionally uh, long, you know, long path with a lot of sort of stops and starts to get to get to the point where we had a deal. Um, but I think over time, as we built up that trust, as we built up that mutual respect, it was something that we were finally able to achieve. I think it's a great example and a high profile one, um, which I thank you for very much, because I think a lot of the time people think they've got to compete with each other and, and winner takes all. But there is something quite amazing. And I, and I think you alluded to this earlier in, in one of your statements about the, the business mission being more important than anything else. You know, So if someone else coming to run the company is going to make the business more successful and help more companies start, then frankly merging the business and creating this one plus one equals 11 concept, which I, I believe in strongly, means that there'll be a, a stronger force there to help people achieve the mission you and Carla started off to do. And I think a lot of people could be, if they, more people thought that way, they, they would often be more successful in businesses themselves. Again, I know a lot of people who listen to this show are sitting there with a business and they've got a, two, a competitor or two that they think they hate. Go and have a coffee with them or a Zoom <laughs> with them. Go and have a chat with them. And you'll be surprised how much you've got in common if you're both working to a similar purposeful goal. And that over time, I mean, I'm married 20 years. I still argue with my wife. You know, like you're going to have, you're never going to have the perfect uh, relationship no matter who you're in business with. But your missions are aligned, the two of you. And so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastically um, open-minded attitude that you guys have got on both sides of the fence to then realize that you're better together and make it happen. Because it's not I can see it's not been easy to get two regulated companies to work together. Well, and I think, look, I would be the first to say that I, I think it's, you know, part, part of it, in addition to getting to know each other and work together, part of it was was a sort of level of, of, of realism in the sense that I think, you know, I'd be the first to say that, you know, we would have loved it if we'd been the only ones in the market and, 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 and had sort of, you know, been able to sort of take the lead entirely ourselves and, you know, all the talent and, and all the crowd people 
brought, you know, maybe hired them, but, you know, not have a separate company uh, uh, to be competing with. I, I'm sure they feel that they would have loved the exact same thing or the, 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 the reverse. But eventually you sort of just come to a realization that, you know, it isn't going to happen. We both built really, you know, pretty good, interesting businesses that have a lot of support behind us. You know, neither of us is going away anytime soon. Not, you know, neither of us, you know, is going to strike a sort of knockout blow. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's not really what we should be doing necessarily. I mean, the, 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 this all came together uh, the way it did. And so now, now, and you know, we should be thinking about the big picture. We should be thinking about how do we make this thing as successful as it can be. And, and that's, that's doing it together. So, you know, I think, it, you know, it, it's obviously, you know, we're all competitors or, you know, it naturally, I think entrepreneurs are competitive people. We like to win. We like to be the only ones, but you know, they, and, and that's good. And we should have that spirit, but you also have to take the moment when it says, you know what, now's the time to stop focusing on it that way and start focusing on how can you do things jointly. And I, I just saw an advert for Burger King. I don't like Burger King personally. I'm not endorsing it in this podcast. It's not sponsored by Burger King. But I saw an advert where they were basically saying, hey, folks, you know, go buy from McDonald's, go buy from Five Guys, you know, basically keep business alive because we, we employ thousands of people. Yeah. You know, we, we don't mind if you buy from them. You know, we want, we want to keep people in employment. The bigger picture thing is really interesting when it comes to competition and uh, knowing when to park yeah. the, um, the competitive nature and just shake hands at the end of the tennis match and, and and so on so yeah exactly right no exactly right i really love it well i'm um, so tell us how you so you you got the business up and running um it's it's working tell us uh, you mentioned your lucky moment there with with your investor but when did you know this was a business that was going to work when 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 was that kind of uh, eureka we're right moment there were probably a couple of different ones as we went along. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I, I don't think there was any sort of one single moment that just said, this is, this, this is it. But we had, we had a couple of, of kind of exciting uh, things. I think one, one was maybe two or three months after we launched. Um, I was, as I, as I always was then sort of obsessively looking in the back end of the platform and looking at numbers and, you know, those, any, any hundred pound investment that came through, yeah, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing something happen. Um, but I started all of a sudden to see a whole bunch of users signing up one day, far more than we would get normally in a day at that point. Um, and in tracing it, I realized that they were all coming um, from a single referral. Um, they were, I think we had a referral box, you know, where do you hear about us? And they're all basically saying this. We had a campaign that was getting ready and the entrepreneur behind that campaign had gone and reached out to, uh, his community. He moderated a particular sort of forum of some sort. Uh, and he went out and reached out to them and said, look, I want you guys to sign up to Cedars. So as soon as we go live, you're ready to invest. Um, and you know, nowadays that's actually a key part of you know of, of crowdfunding is people driving driving their their, their communities uh, to invest in them. But then we hadn't thought about it quite like that um, at that point. Um, and when we realized it, we realized how powerful it was. So wait a minute, one side of our market is doing the work to get the other side of our market onto the platform. That's awesome. Um, and that really was a very exciting moment. We really, we began from there to really focus on having businesses, you know, you drive their communities, tap into their communities, tap into their customer bases, you know, as a source of funding. And that, that became a really important bit. And then I think maybe a second one, you know, probably separate, but I think the second one I'd highlight 
was um, I saw one day, again, checking the back end of the platform, this is maybe a year later or so, saw one day that uh, the CEO of Chapel Down Wines had, had signed up the platform. And I like Chapel Down. I, I, I've been a you know, consumer of their product for a while. I saw it. I assumed he was just signing up as an investor, but 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 I I, I pinged him anyway, and I just said, "Hey, you know, I love Chapel Down. Great to see you on here." Uh, and he came back to me and explained that actually he was interested in potentially crowdfunding for Chapel Down. They're a public company. They you know they they got lots. They've got lots of institutional capital. They got lots of, of opportunity around them. Um, and and never occurred to me that this could be a possibility. But then as we started talking, realized you know. It, it, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry realized that he is a, um, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a consummate marketer um, uh, uh, and a, a fantastic, you know, you know, sort of thinker in terms of how to spread his brand. And he realized that if he could use us to reach out and get investment from huge numbers of entrepreneur, you know, of, 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 um, of, of, brand, of, of, of brand ambassadors, effectively, of fans of customers of brand, you know, that this could be good for his business. And, you know, we, we developed a great relationship uh, with him. He's a great guy. I'm speaking with him tomorrow, actually. Um, and he is, you know, he, 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 you know, he had a very successful campaign, but it also got us really thinking, wait a minute, you know, that was the moment where we said, wait a minute, this isn't just, you know, we called ourselves Cedars because we kind of thought this was just going to be this was really about seed stage capital. This was just going to be about sort of earlier stage companies. And when we saw that, we said, wait a minute, this has an opportunity for a whole bunch of different types of companies. And that was really exciting as well. Again, your insights, Jeff, are just mind-blowingly good to me. As right. someone that's been through the whole process and seen it, what you're describing, it's just so interesting. I think one of the things I want the audience to pick up on here is, you know, you can start a business with one particular idea and that idea doesn't necessarily change, but it can evolve based on the market feedback that you're getting. So many people try to plan everything out from day one. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. And Jeff, you're clearly brilliant. You know, you still don't know until you put it out in the world where the tipping points really going to come from. Right. And so that story, those two points you've highlighted there, it was always there in the business, but you didn't imagine that a, a wealthy, successful company would necessarily want to raise money on your system. But why wouldn't they? Because they can create loyal customers that own a part of the brand. It makes total sense to us now in hindsight, right? And so, brilliant. You know, I think in the discipline of entrepreneurship and starting businesses, you know, that's all part of what's called, you know, product market fit and 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 and, and the process for seeking it. But, you know, product market fit is one of those things that's very easy to describe in the abstract or in retrospect. But when you're actually in it, in the middle of it, it's not the kind of thing that's all that, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's difficult to go out and search actively. But things happen and you get particular insights like that. And all of a sudden you realize, aha, so this thing works well for this market in this way. And, you know, it's a, it's a fun experience when that happens yeah and it's, it's it's you just got to be um eyes wide open and listening carefully like you just discussed about how you went into the system and you saw this person and you then you know it almost dawns on you you know why you wonder why this person's on there you think they're looking to invest so you inquire because it, it seems interesting and then pop that brilliant yeah. frankly billion dollar uh, element to your business suddenly kicks into play right it's like oh okay <laughs> precisely right it's brilliant jeff it's really really interesting and thanks for taking the time to share that with us i think it's it's really for the audience to pick up on you should just start your business i think is the takeaway i have you've got a basic idea to go and then listen carefully as you develop it to evolve it you you plan as best as you can i mean i always loved you know there's the old adage military adage that you know no 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 battle plan 
you know, survives first contact with the enemy. And, mm-hmm. and you know, know the, the corollary to that, which I certainly did not make up myself, uh, but heard from someone early on, is no business plan survives its first contact with the market. You know, you, <laughs> you, do, you do have to have a plan. You know, it makes sense to have a plan, but you have to be ready to evolve very quickly. Yeah, so so true. Absolutely true, yeah. And, and so going forward, what does success mean for Jeff and what does success mean for Cedars in the future? Well, for me, it's a great question. I mean, for me, I think I have always seen success as being a combination of enjoying what you do while creating value in the process. And, and you know, the value, the value bit, I think everybody would say, I mean, everyone defines value a bit differently. I mean, to me, it's a mix. I mean, financial, the financial element is important. I, I would never pretend that it wasn't. I think making money is a great thing. Um, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, I want to make money for myself and for my shareholders um, and doing so, you know, while also creating something of value to others is even better, you know, what better way, you know, what, you know, the way, the way business and capitalism is meant to work is you build something that other people want and place a value on and will pay you for it. And you will make money off of that. I mean, you know, a lot of businesses, you know, through various tricks and engineering may, may not um, quite meet that equation. I think it's quite simple. And so if I can create something that people want, that's good for, 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 you know, small businesses, good for investors. Uh, and then it turns out to be good for me. I think that's fantastic. Um, and, but at the same time, I've, I've, ever since I was a child, I really did have this focus on this idea that you should enjoy what you, what you do for a living if at all possible. And I'm, nobody's going to enjoy what they do every day, all day. That's impossible. That's impossible. But you know, it is what we spend the vast majority of our waking hours doing. And, 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 and I, you know, people who take miserable jobs in order to, you know, just sort of scrape by financially in the hopes that when they get to 70, they'll have a big pension pot and then can start enjoying life. Look, I understand everyone's got different needs for financial security, but it never seems to me like a, a life I wanted to live. I want, you know, and, and I do, I find work interesting. I find many types of, 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 of work and professional involvement interesting. I, you know, and I also find many very boring and very painful. And so, you know, being able to do something that I find interesting, that makes me want to get up in the morning and tackle a problem. I think that's, that's a really important part of it as well. And that's an important part of how I think of, of success and in whatever I do going forward, you know, the opportunity to make money and then do so the right way is, is going to be key, but the opportunity to, you know, enjoy doing it is also going to be key. So that's, that's me personally. Um, obviously the success, you know, the, the success of Cedars and my own success are tied pretty closely together. Um, but, uh, uh, I, 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 as I look at what Cedars and as we come together with Crowdcube are going to be able to deliver, you know, I think we have a huge opportunity to really become, you know, a global marketplace for private equity investment. I mean, I want to see investors from all over the world investing in awesome startup and scale up businesses uh, from all over the world uh, through our platform, you know, retail institutional pre-seed to pre-IPO. I think the opportunity there is going to be massive. And I think that, you know, we've done a huge amount of work, both Crowdcube and we, effectively laying the groundwork but you know where we you know we, we, we whatever we've got we've gone from zero to one or zero to two but we still we've still got a hundred to get to it's it's a fascinating journey and uh, i could talk to you all day long i'm conscious that you, uh, you you have to go back to your executive chairman role um, and, and all your various board roles and you're busy so i just close off with a few quick ones do you yeah. think entrepreneurs are born or bred 
think it's, it's a great it's a great question. I think they're bred, but I think they're bred from fairly early on. I mean, as I say, I think that my childhood experiences of understanding my family story and 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 you know the 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 the, the immigrant experience, even though it was generations before I didn't know, but having that as part of the dinner table conversation, that was very useful. So I, I don't necessarily. I think anybody anybody can become an entrepreneur. I don't know that there's anything inherent in anyone's DNA, uh, but I think that how even how you think about career and professional, you know, as a child growing up, looking at the world around you is, 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 you know, actually forms part of it. And that's not to say you can't come to it much later in life as well. But I, I, I do think that the, the breeding bit start can, you know, is useful if it starts early. And do you think uh, luck plays a role in business? Huge amounts of it. I mean, and, and I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's such a common fallacy for, 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 successful business people that you know, attribute all their successes to themselves and all their failures to bad luck. The truth is there's a lot of luck in both directions. Um, you can, you know, there are a number of things you can do to, to make your luck. I mean, there's no the, you know, harder I work, the luckier I get. And, and certainly, you know, creating opportunities uh, 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 where you are likely to be lucky, where they're likely to be serendipitous moments is, is great. But, you know, good luck is very important and bad luck can, you know, stymie businesses, you know, I, I mean, Lord, look, I talked to anybody who started a hospitality business a year ago, uh, you know, how on earth could they have possibly, you know, they could have had the best business idea in the world, but the pandemic, you know, will have scuppered much of that. So yes, luck is a key factor. And do you believe uh, going forward that university, you mentioned it earlier, but do you think university right now, if someone's thinking of going to university or starting a business, is the right route or do you think people should start their own business? Just, I know it's hard to give one-off advice, but your instinct. My instinct is that in the absence of a really compelling business idea that has to be done now for some reason, um, I would go to university. I do think university has 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 value. Um, I think if you do have something that you know you know you're passionate about, you want to do, and now is the time you want to do it. By all means, you can always go to university later. I mean that you know that that doesn't have to be on a particular time frame. But if if it's just should I start a bit, should I try to think of a business and start it in the abstract, or should I go to university? I do lean to you. And finally, um, if you went back to the younger Jeff and uh, gave some advice, what would it be? I, I, I would certainly tell myself that, you know, things are rarely as good as you think they're going to be or rarely as bad as you think they're going to be. I mean, when I was younger, I, I, and even in starting out in series, I, I, I thought everything was going in extreme directions, you know, in both ways, you know, we'd have some little success and this was it. And I was elated because this was going to be everything we needed. And we'd have some little problem or a little failure. And, oh my God, this is the end, et cetera. And, and I think one of the things I have learned very much these past 10 years or so has been that there are big things and, and they happen, but the vast majority of things aren't that big. Uh, and taking it all in stride, celebrating your wins, you know, taking losses seriously, uh, but taking things more in stride, I think would have caused, saved me a lot of heartache. Beautiful advice for young Jeff. I'm sure you'd <laughs> sure appreciate it. I'm going to sum up quickly what, what I've taken away. Um, so many great insights, but just a couple of them. The first 50K is the hardest. Keep that in mind, push through. Um, no business, uh, no business plan will help you survive first contact with clients. I like that. Might make that into a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, 
anyone can be an entrepreneur. Couldn't agree more with that statement. We're we're not born doctors. We're not born lawyers. We uh, we need training, guidance, help, and and support. So absolutely agree with that and love it. I think the uh, concept that. I love this idea you mentioned earlier of your own investor, getting an investor that can bring some value. So in his case, his son who helped you do some coding mm-hmm. and, and that, that support factor around an investor in the early days is actually, I think, quite crucial. And I, I like the story. and want to highlight it. And I think the ultimate takeaway for me is, is something I also really believe in, which is get up every day and enjoy what you do is success. You know, if you if you can do that, no matter what it is, even if it's not on an entrepreneurial environment, dare I say it, on an entrepreneurial podcast, you know, that is success. I uh, I love it. Couldn't agree with it more. And if you are feeling that way every day that you get up, then you are blessed. You are really blessed. And if you're not, do something about it. Maybe go list your company on Cedars and uh, yeah. let's let's go. Let's go. Exactly. Exactly. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share your story and share your insights with us been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me Sam I really appreciate it thank you so much for listening to today's podcast if you found Jeff's insights useful do me a favour go on Cedars and do what I do just go look for all the amazing companies that are on there and get inspired by those companies and hey if you've got some capital to spare maybe put some money in one or two of them and help them in this time to become the companies they want to become I tell you, as a hobby, I do that literally every night. I go on season and look through what they're supporting and what they're putting out there. It is inspiring. So do me a favor and go do that for you, for Jeff's company and for me. I want again, thank you for listening to today's podcast show. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to. In fact, 783,000 podcasts as of yesterday that you could be listening to. And you take the time out to listen to ours. And of course, we feel incredibly lucky.